understanding. Open our eyes. Help us to have a burden. And then, Father, help our, our minds and our memories to be able to bring to the conversations the things that are needful. And above all, may Your Holy Spirit guide and direct our steps as we work and deal with those that are lost. He would call to mind and to memory the things that need to be said. <coughs> need to be said. And then, Father, that He would do the work in the heart as we speak from without. Guide and direct our steps tonight. And, Lord, bless the time that we spend here together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, Second Peter chapter 2. Second Peter chapter 2. Several months ago we ended a study on the Mormons. We spent a number of weeks, I think about 10 or 12 weeks on that. And I hope it was a help to you. I, I, I fear, and I was talking with someone just last week, in fact, um, over the telephone, and they uh, are out of state, and they made a comment that uh, a Jehovah's Witness had come to their door. And uh, they said, I just told them I wasn't interested and closed the door. And I thought there was a missed opportunity. And, uh, folks, I understand the frustration. I understand there's... A lot of uh, folks that maybe will come to your door, the Mormons may do that, the Jehovah's Witnesses may do that, but but the Bible tells us that as Christians we're to speak the truth in love to them. That our responsibility is to try to show them the truth. And uh, so we're going to, uh, I hope and pray that the Mormon uh, study was good for you, and if you didn't, you weren't hearing a part of that, I think most all of them are available online. And you can get, uh, I think, most all of those, and, and perhaps you go back and listen to those. They may be a help to you. Tonight we're going to begin studying about the Jehovah's Witnesses and what we can do to be a help to them. We're going to start in Second Peter chapter 2 for a few moments, and uh, we may be a little bit in here, and then we'll move to some very practical things. And tonight's just kind of a, a high-level overview, kind of in a nutshell. We may take tonight and next Wednesday really to just kind of lay a foundation uh, to build on and to try to be a help to us. There's going to be a lot of information, and I don't expect you to to memorize or be reminded of all of it, but I would say this, that I, my prayer, my goal in this is to do two things. Number one, that God will open our eyes to the great need of reaching these folks. And secondly, that He will give us a burden to to do what is necessary to reach them. It's going to require some work. It's going to require some effort on our part. And uh, no longer are we going to be able to uh, just ignore them and say, I'm not interested and close the door. Uh, I'm, my prayer, my goal, and I'm just telling you right, off the, right from the very beginning, is that God will burden our hearts for these folks. Uh, they're lost. And they think they're right. They're raised in what they consider to be the truth. And uh, be in prayer about that, if you will. Second Peter chapter two. We're going to begin uh, reading actually in verse number twenty-one. Actually, verse number twenty. Excuse me. You know, let's go to verse nine. Let's start in Genesis one. It's all good. I was going to start in Genesis uh, in chapter two, verse one, but I I want to get a running start into it because it starts with the conjunction, and and I want to start. Let's start in verse nineteen. 
because I love this, and I, and I think it's foundational to what we're dealing with. Peter is speaking here, and he's, he's in chapter 1, he deals with his eyewitness account of these things. And after he talks about all this eyewitness account and being with Jesus during his earthly ministry, he tells us in verse number 19, we, are, we have also a more sure word of prophecy. And he just got done talking about his eyewitness account. His ears had heard the Christ in his earthly ministry. And yet he says, there is a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto ye do well that ye take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place, until the day dawn and that day star arise in your hearts. The more sure word of prophecy that we have is the, the infallible, inspired, inerrant word of God. And we hold to that in the King James Version of Scripture. He says this, knowing this first, this is how we know that he's speaking of the Scriptures, knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. How many of you have ever heard somebody say about one of the Apostle Paul's statements, sometimes he would say, I say this by permission and not by command. Have you ever heard somebody say, well, that was Paul's opinion? Have you ever heard that argument or something along that line? Can I tell you this? The Bible says all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. And even if it was not by command and it was by permission, it was still the Holy Spirit that gave him permission to write it. And so he says, and if somebody ever tells you that and says, well, that's just Paul's, Paul's opinion on it, that's not what God thinks about it, then you need to take them to this verse. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. It wasn't just their thoughts. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost, this sure word of prophecy that we have. But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you who privily shall bring in damnable heresies. Now, we taught on this a few weeks ago in Sunday school. The damnable heresies are not just heresies that if they believed wrong on them, that they would not go to heaven. What he's speaking of here are the heresies that would cause someone to not be able to get saved. It's such an untruth about the gospel. There's only two types of belief systems in the world. There is faith alone, and then there is works. And that's it. You might find a, a, a combination of the two, but it will still fall into the works category. Either you believe works or you believe faith. And uh, whichever one you hold to, uh, you're either going to be right or wrong on the issue. And so it tells us here that there's going to be some teachers that will come that are going to bring in damnable heresies. These are heresies that will send people to hell because they are not understanding the truth of the gospel. These are these specific types of heresies even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. And many, do you see that word? If you underline things in your Bible, you ought to underline that word many. Many shall follow their pernicious ways. Now the word pernicious is not a word we use much anymore, but in the time that we had the King James Bible translated, it, it was an idea of causing injury or trying to destroy something. It was an intent to harm or to destroy. And this is the idea of these folks that are teaching these faults and these damnable heresies. There's an intent behind it. Their intent is to destroy or to injure those. By reason of whom the way of truth 
shall be evil spoken of. Now, let me ask you a question. Have any of you ever knocked on the door and had somebody say, not interested, and they slam the door because they have Jehovah's Witnesses there all the time or Mormons there all the time trying to talk to them? They cause injury to the truth. It's almost like God knew these things were going to happen. And He did. And many shall follow their pernicious ways by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. And notice this, verse 3, And through covetousness shall they with feigned words, that means words that are made up, they're fake, they're not true, they're false words, and they know it. These are not those who teach false doctrine or false heresy just because they're ignorant of the fact of what the truth is. These are not the folks that regurgitate the truth of, that they've been taught from others and don't realize and are sincere in their beliefs, but they're sincerely wrong. These are not those people. These are the people who know better. Their whole intent is to injure and to cause harm to the cause of Christ. Their whole intent is to destroy the faith of others. Their whole intent is, notice this in verse 3, through covetousness shall they with vain words will make what? Merchandise of you. R.A. Torrey said this, there's only one reason a man would not preach the whole counsel of God, and that reason is money. To do it intentionally, to do it uh, even knowing what the truth is, there's only one reason a man would do that, and that is for money. They make merchandise of you, whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. And then Peter gives three illustrations. In verse number 4, all the way up to verse number 11, he gives three illustrations of God bringing judgment on those that rebelled against God. He starts with a, a story of the flood and how that God did not save the world that was before except for, a, uh, for Noah and his uh, family members. And then in verse number seven or verse number 6, he talks about his destruction and judgment on the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. And he uses that as an illustration of God's judgment. And then finally, he uses down in verse number, um, verse number uh, 11, the uh, illustration of the angels who rebelled against God, and he brought judgment on them. And what he's doing by this is showing the certainty of God's judgment on these type of false teachers. Those that intentionally do it, they are pernicious in their ways, they have damnable heresies, and they do it for the purpose of making merchandise of you. Notice what he calls them in verse 12. But these, as natural brute beasts, that's what Peter calls them, made to be taken and destroyed, speak evil of the things that they understand not, and shall utterly perish in their own corruption, and shall receive the reward of unrighteousness, as they that count it pleasure to riot in the daytime. Spots they are, and blemishes, sporting themselves with their own deceivings, while they feast with you. Having eyes full of adultery, they cannot cease from sin, beguiling unstable souls. And heart they have, exercised with covetous practices, cursed children, which have forsaken the right way and are gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Bosor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. Could you imagine anyone loving the wages of unrighteousness? 
but was rebuked for his iniquity. The dumb ass speaking with the man's vo- with man's voice forbade that the madness of the prophet. These notice this verse number seventeen are wells without water, clouds that are carried with a tempest, to whom the mist of darkness is reserved forever. For when they speak great swelling words of vanity, they allure through the lust of the flesh. Through much wantonness, those that were clean escaped from them who live in error, while they promised them liberty. They themselves are the servants of corruption. For of whom a man is overcome, of the same is he brought in bondage. For if they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein and overcome. The latter end is worse with them than the beginning. For it had better it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after they had known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. But if but it has happened unto them according to the true proverb, the dog is returned to his own vomit again, and the sow that washeth to her wallowing in the mire. It's almost like Peter under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, wrote this chapter of this letter to illustrate movements similar to the Jehovah's Witnesses. You say, Pastor, that's a harsh statement to make. Folks, my intent with this lesson, and I mean this with all of my heart, is to do nothing more than to create a burden in our hearts and a desire to learn how to reach them because we do love them. We don't do this because we hate them. We're not speaking ill of them because we wish ill harm to them. We want to see God show them the way of truth. And we have a burden for them. And we ought to weep for them. We ought to pray for them. We're going to begin with some of the things that the Jehovah's Witnesses believe. A lot of people don't even know really what they believe or where they stand on some things. But pretty much everything, they use a lot of terminology that we would use. And you have to be careful of this in talking with the Jehovah's Witness because when they say a word that is something we would say, oh yes, I I use that word, they mean something different by it than what we we believe. And basically, they have taken every tenet of Christianity and they have twisted it. And, And I would say, conservatively, practically every tenet of Christianity. They've not rejected it. They've not pushed it aside. They've twisted it and made it their own. It began in 1870. A man by the name of uh, Charles Taze Russell, I always pronounced it Taz, but somebody pronounced it Taze here recently, and I thought, well, that must be the proper pronunciation. Charles Taze Russell began it in 1870. He started with a little Bible study. And uh, through this Bible study, he began to... Uh, kind of refute some of the uh, common teachings of the day. And so uh, he started a little publications uh, operation where he would write some material. And it became known as the Watchtower Publications. And that's still in existence today, by the way. And uh, he he taught his uh, doctrine uh, a little bit different than what Christianity was. And it was not very long afterwards that the organization, the Bible study that had been growing under his leadership, it splintered and went a number of different ways. And um, 
and, and another fellow took it over um, and took the name Jehovah's Witness and uh, the Watchtower publications were kind of really rooted in at that point. And he took over the Watchtower publications and uh, the man's last name was Russell. I can't remember his first name. I'll, I'll think of it here in a minute. Uh, I think it's Charles. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Not Russell. Rutherford. Joseph, Joseph Rutherford uh, was the fellow's name. And uh, But anyway, he started um, kind of taking over that whole group. They splintered off of Charles Chase Russell's group. And that's what we know as the Jehovah's Witnesses today, the ones that have come out under his leadership. Um, basically, their doctrine began to be established through the publications of the Watchtower publications. They organized a group of eight men. These were known as the, um, the leadership or the governing body, uh, and they began to establish the doctrine of the Jehovah's Witnesses, and they would publish it through these Watchtower magazines. Now, the problem was um, a lot of their doctrine was not lining up with Scripture. And so they decided, well, since our doctrine is not lining up with Scripture, then we need to write uh, a Scripture or what they consider to be correcting Scripture. And they claimed that they went all the way back to Greek and began to retranslate everything, and they came out with what's called the New World Translation. And uh, this is the Jehovah's Witnesses Bible. It's the only Bible that they will hold to. And there's a lot of uh, things that are severely different between the Jehovah's Witness and the Mormons as far as their doctrine of who Jesus is and, and uh, some of that. There's also some similarities. And one of the similarities is that they are taught uh, from the very beginning that if they have any kind of writing or anyone speaking to them that is anti-watchtower, that they are apostate and they're to reject them. And I say that to say this. Some people say, well, I, I've got this great Jehovah's Witness track. It'll reach Jehovah's Witnesses. If you hand it to them and it doesn't say Watchtower on the back, it's going in the trash. They're not going to read it. Now, you might hear of one or two illustrations of somebody who got saved through that, and you can mark it down if you go and inquire about it and you talk to them about it. It was somebody who was probably already on their way out that decided, I'm going to read this pamphlet. Because here's the problem. If they go against the loyalty clause and the teaching of the Jehovah's Witnesses, they, they don't get to live forever. They're destroyed in the end. And it is very much, and this is where they're very similar to the Mormons, it's very much a fear-driven salvation that they have, uh, what they believe to be salvation. That if they turn from it, having heard of it, that they're going to be part of those that are going to be uh, destroyed in the end times and cease to exist. And they're not going to be able to live forever. They don't believe there's a hell. They don't believe that they think that the unsaved, uh, who when they die, they just dissolve and go away and there's no more, there's no more life to them. Uh, so they don't believe in that. Uh, so because of this, they have what's called the New World Translation and they have their watchtower periodicals. And those are the only things that they accept as any truth at all. If you try to counter them with the King James Bible, you say, well, let me pull my Bible out. Let me show you where your Bible's wrong. They're going to reject that. Uh, so we're going to talk a little bit in the next couple of weeks about some ways that we can reach them and uh, some things that can be done. A couple of things that they kind of believe in, kind of in a nutshell here. Uh, they believe that Jesus is a created being. He's not God. 
they believe that he was Michael the archangel uh, when he was created. Uh, when he died, they believe he died on a stake and not on a cross. And that when he went into the grave, that the man Jesus ceased to exist. And the resurrection of Christ was a spirit resurrection. And he, he comes back as uh, Michael again uh, in this resurrection as just a spirit. He doesn't have a body. Um, they do believe that uh, in when the folks went to the tomb and the body of Jesus wasn't there, that God just dissolved his body, that it's just gone, and that there was no resurrection. Now, obviously, we know from Scripture uh, there's plenty to refute that uh, because we have indications and historical accounts and gospel accounts of Jesus appearing to his disciples and then to many other folks after that. And even having them touch him and even talking about the nail prints in his hand and the wound in his side. And so he was in bodily form. Uh, but again, they don't believe this. They believe that his body dissolved in the grave and that there was a spiritual resurrection of Christ who sends back to heaven as Michael once again. And that in First uh, Thessalonians chapter 4, when it speaks of uh, the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, they say, aha, there it is. But in their logic, if it says that he shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, uh, then if you follow their logic, not only would he have to be the archangel, he would have to be a trumpet also because of the way that word's in there. But that's, the, that's how they'll get you on your stuff. Now, how do people become a Jehovah's Witness? Uh, there's, there's two ways, primary ways, that people become a Jehovah's Witness. Number one, and the biggest majority of it is they're born into it. At this point in history, uh, they've raised a lot of children, and uh, they're raised as Jehovah's That's all they know. They're taught from the youth, and that's all they know. I've uh, already listened to and uh, read about and watched videos of folks that have come out of Jehovah's Witness, and uh, most all of them say, I was born into it. It's the only truth I ever knew. However, there are a few, that, and there are some others, and, and that do go into the Jehovah's Witnesses. And these are those, and I say this with a broken heart, because these are those who do not know their doctrine. And they are easily tripped up in a discussion with a Jehovah's Witness. They come to your house and they'll start pulling verses out of our Bible and they'll start trying to show apparent problems with it. And people who do not know their doctrine and are not solid, they'll begin to doubt it. And then they'll step in and say, now we have the truth. Let me show you from our Bible how it says this. And they'll start showing you what they think is the truth. You're either born into it, but they prey on these folks who do not know their doctrine. And, and we're talking about folks, I'm telling you, people that sit in good Bible preaching churches that do not know their doctrine. You wonder why we teach on this so hard and so often, folks. We need to know our doctrine. And we don't, we don't need to know our doctrine because the preacher said this is our doctrine. We need to know our doctrine because we can point to a verse in Scripture and say, here's where it says it in the infallible Word of God. We must know it. And so, these are how they become part of this. They believe that uh, Jesus has already come. As Michael, in 1914, He was supposed to come visibly. And when He didn't come visibly, they kind of changed their teaching and said, well, He came invisibly, nobody ever saw Him, and now He is reigning uh, from the Watchtower organization. And that Jesus is actually there in spirit, 
not in body, but he's actually there in spirit as Michael the archangel, and he's ruling since 1914 uh, in the Watchtower organization. They teach that there's four ways to be saved. Now, let me explain how their salvation works. So, they believe that there's only 144,000 that are going to be selected to be in heaven for eternity. Um, the rest of those that are saved, what they call saved, or redeemed, you know, their, their terminology of salvation, will live on the earth, and there's going to be many multitudes of those, they claim. They're going to live on an earth that is a paradise, um, but not in the presence of Christ, not in the presence of God, just on an earth, and they're just going to be living their own way in a paradise on earth. And then those that are not saved, they're just going to cease to exist. They don't believe in eternal punishment. They do not believe in a literal hell. And they think that uh, the big pull is just, do you want to live forever? Then join the Jehovah's Witnesses, and here's how you do it. Now, there's four things that are required for salvation. Four things that are required for salvation. First of all, they have to do what's, and I'm going to use this phrase because it's what they put in their writings. You have to take in the knowledge of Christ. Now, on the surface, that sounds really good. If you have a Jehovah's Witness, say, we believe you have to take in the knowledge of Christ to be saved. We say, okay, that's a part of salvation. You have to know about Christ. That's not what they're talking about. What they're talking about is their knowledge of Christ as it's written in the New World Translation, which is that Christ did not ascend uh, or uh, resurrect from the dead and that He raised as a spirit uh, uh, body, I guess, if you want to put that word into it. He raised as a spirit and is now Michael, the archangel in heaven. You have to accept that. That's what they're talking about. And so, again, be careful because they'll use phrases like this and they'll get you to come be a part of their JW organization and then you'll, you'll start learning some of this stuff and say, well, I guess that must be true then because I've accepted that. Uh, yeah, be careful. They'll use a lot of terminology that will draw you in. And it's, uh, they're very shrewd about it. They're very careful how they teach and train their people to, to do this. The second thing you have to do for salvation... Already, that's a problem, isn't it? Because there's only one way to get saved. There's only one thing that has to be done. We have to put our faith in what the Lord Jesus Christ did on Calvary. And that's it. The just shall live by faith. Uh, uh, Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. And we understand that. And we're to be saved by grace through faith. That's it. Faith alone. You add anything to faith, it becomes works. So then their second thing is to obey the laws of God. So it is a works-based salvation. A works-based salvation. They have to take in the knowledge of Christ as they teach Him, and you have to obey the laws of God. The third, or the third requirement to be saved, and you have to fulfill all four of these. It's not choose one. You have to do all four of these. The third one is you must belong to the Jehovah's Witness organization. You, if you don't belong to the Jehovah's Witness organization, they, they believe that every single other religious group out there is apostate. That's their belief, and that's what they teach their people. They don't think there's room for anyone other than the Jehovah's Witnesses. And then the fourth one is a very broad statement. It's, it's stated in their writings, and all they say is loyalty. Loyalty. Now, that can be used a lot of different ways. And they use that as a fear tactic to teach your people, you're not loyal in this area, you're not loyal in that area, you'll lose your salvation if you're not. They do believe in shunning, 
They do believe in kicking people out of the Jehovah's Witnesses, and that is the worst thing. You don't want that to happen if you're a JW because you lose your salvation when that happens. And they have an extremely strict set of rules and guidelines. If a woman gets uh, pregnant out of wedlock, she is kicked out of the, the movement. They disassociate her with the Jehovah's Witnesses. She can no longer be a part of them. So basically, if you got a child out of wedlock, you could never go to heaven. You could never be saved in, in their teaching. I'm going to go down through a list of these. We're going to talk a lot more in detail on some of these over the next several weeks. And we're going to break down um, not only some of the things that they teach, but uh, we're going to show from even their own writings how that some of the things they teach contradict even their own writings. And that's going to be vital, and we're going to talk a little bit more about that. I'm going to just go through a list of these. Don't worry about if you don't if you're trying to write them down. Don't worry about trying to get them all right now. I will publish some notes at the end of this, and you'll be, you'll have all this to you, so you'll have these um, because it's important for you to have them. And uh, but I'm just going to go through them since again tonight's kind of a, a very high level, broad view, just to give you an idea of where they're coming from. They reject the Trinity. They do not believe in a Trinity. They do not believe that Jesus is God. They believe He's a created being. Um, they do not believe that the Holy Spirit is a person. They just believe He's an active force of God the Father. Um, they believe that Christ returned in 1914 as a spirit and established His kingdom in heaven and is ruling that kingdom from the Watchtower organization, the headquarters. They do not believe that Jesus died on a cross. They believe He died on a stake. They believe that God the Father has a spirit body and is not present everywhere. He can only be at one place at one time. They believe that only 144,000 will go to heaven. We've already spoken about that. Most of the rest of the saved will live on paradise, uh, earth for eternity. They don't believe in hell. They believe every other denomination is apostate. They believe that good works are necessary. They believe that their salvation can be lost. Uh, they only believe in adult baptism. And they have no method that's established for how to baptize. I don't know how that works, but they don't have any set way that they are baptized. They do uh, observe the Lord's Supper, but only the 144,000 are allowed to participate. Now, how they figure that out, I don't know. But apparently only 144,000, the 144,000 can partake of the Lord's Supper. Um, because of that, a lot of them just abstain from the Lord's Supper because they don't believe they are part of that 144,000. Um, they do believe in a millennial reign, but only those, uh, they do believe that there will be some folks that were spiritually ignorant that didn't know the truth that will be ushered into that millennial reign and that they will have an opportunity to be saved during that millennial period, but it's only going to be those who did not know how to be saved prior to that. Um, there's some things that they forbid. You cannot get a blood transfusion if you're a Jehovah's Witness. You're not allowed to have a blood transfusion. Uh, they're against war. They can't fight in the military. They can't vote. They can't observe Easter. They can't observe Christmas. They cannot observe birthdays. They cannot read any anti-Watchtower literature. They read anti-Watchtower literature, and somebody finds out about it, they can be disassociated from that or shunned. Uh, and then they believe in shunning. Out of the ones that I've heard and I've read some writings of some people that have also worked with Jehovah's Witnesses over the years, 
And they said this, they said, most of those who come out, and I've seen this to be true in most of these testimonies that I've read or heard or watched, they say most of those that come out of Jehovah's Witness uh, will take years, years, to undo all the twisting of their minds with regards to Christianity. We're not talking about weeks, we're not talking about days, months. If you have a soul winner come to you and say, I met this guy on the street, a Jehovah's Witness, and he trusted Christ as his Savior, and now he's saved, one of two things happened. Either the Jehovah's Witness was doing what the man said in order to get him to quit talking so he could go on, which happens. Or if he did truly get saved, it was not something that happened at that moment. It was something that he had been working on in his mind for many, many months prior to that. And that may have been his moment of salvation. But it was not something that someone just handed him a track, led the, led the uh, message of salvation to him, and then he got saved that quick. It's not going to happen that way. They are too entangled and their minds are too, too uh, uh, confused by the truth. And you've got to keep in mind, this is the same thing that holds true when we dealt with uh, the Mormons. Getting them to understand that the doctrine of the Jehovah's Witness is wrong is only half of getting them to the place they need to be. If you've spent all this time trying to get them to realize, I'm, not, I'm, I'm coming out of the Jehovah's Witness movement because that's, that's not true, it's not right, then you're only halfway there. What you've now done is create a vacuum. You keep this in mind. Every one of them that are there believe with all their hearts, I mean with all their hearts, that this is the truth. Many of them have believed it their entire life. And when it comes to the place where they realize that's not the truth and all of this shatters and comes crumbling down inside them, then they're going to be very confused, for one, and they're going to be very skeptical about any other thing that's presented to them to be the truth. And this is why it oftentimes takes months or even years to genuinely lead a Jehovah's Witness to the Lord. And it's going to take some time and it's going to take some effort. You're not going to do it, them standing at your door, knocking on it. It's not going to happen. Unless God has continuously worked in their hearts for months on end, and they're ripe for salvation, that will not happen. And you say, well, are you limiting God? No, I'm not at all. I'm not at all. I'm not saying that God is not dealing with their hearts. But man does have a free will, and when their mind is that twisted on things... It takes a long time for that will to come into the subjection of the conviction of the Holy Spirit of God. So you've got to keep this in mind that it's going to take them a long time. Once they get out of it, then they're going to be at a whole other level of confusion. Um, once they learn that the watchtower is a false web of deceit, now you've got to untangle that whole mess. All these terms that they've used all their life are going to be some of the same terms we use. And they've got to unlearn what they know them to be and relearn them what the Bible teaches it to be. And that's going to be a difficult thing. It's going to take some time. They have a lot of rules that they have to follow uh, in order to be a part of the organization. Uh, a lot of people, when they do come out of it, uh, refer to it as escaping the Jehovah's Witnesses uh, because there are such overbearing rules and things they have to follow after. Uh, if they ever question or, or leave, they are shunned. They're not allowed to question. Uh, they're always kept very busy. And by the way, a lot of the things that we look at 
down through history, like the Jim Joneses and, and places like that, the cults that they have, these farms, they, one of the ways they controlled the minds of these people was to keep them extremely busy and have them work all the time. And this is one of the things that Jehovah's Witnesses do. They put a, a huge burden. I was listening to one fellow. He was telling his uh, weekly schedule when he was a new convert to uh, the Jehovah's Witnesses, and he said it was seven days a week. He was doing either preparing for a meeting or going to a meeting, uh, listening to a meeting, going to the services, uh, constantly doing stuff. And so they keep them very, very busy. Um, so how can I reach them? How can I reach them? Give me five more minutes. I know we're six after eight right now. If you'll give me about five more minutes. And if I'm not done, then give me another five, okay? I'll do my best to be done in five. How can I reach them? If, if, if they've been taught that everything that is not Watchtower is apostate, and that if they listen to or read anything that is anti-Watchtower, they could lose their salvation, and they could lose uh, their membership in the Jehovah's Witness group, then how can I reach them? Uh, the first step is, and, and I, I know when I say this, it's the same that we did with the Mormons. When I say this, it's going to be very difficult for some of us to say, okay, I see that. But first of all, well, I'll give you the first, first one is, you've got to show them that you are burdened for them. I would say that. that that's, that's not controversial at all. So you've got to show them that you care for them. Don't just say, I'm not interested and close the door. You've got to show them that you care for them. The second thing I would say, and this is the one that's going to be difficult. When you first deal with them, use their literature. Because anything else that you try to use, they're going to shun it. If you go and say, let me grab my Bible, they may say, okay, that's fine. And they're going to refute everything you say and cause you to doubt some things. And then they're going to pull their Bible out and show it to you. You're not going to get anywhere that way first. Now, you will eventually, but not first. You need to use their literature, and there's plenty of ways to do this. And I'm telling you this from people that have come out of the JW movement, and without exception, I don't think I've, I've had one that I've read about or studied about that ever said, I saw it in the King James Bible or I saw it in another Bible. All of them said, I began to question the writings of the Watchtower. If we're going to get our foot in the door, if we're going to crack that door and get it in there, start with showing where their writings have a problem. And I would say this, there's going to be a lot of different ways to do it. Pick one and get really, really good at it. And then their, their method of operation is going to be to try to change that subject when you bring up something that they can't answer very well. Don't let them do it. If they try to move it on to another passage or another scripture, uh, then say, you know, let's we'll deal with that. Can we finish this one here first? Because this is one I'm really concerned about. And try to bring it back to that. Um, start with that one. Have a heart of compassion for them. Make sure that on that issue, with their writing, that it is that you're very, very solid on it. Make sure you know where it's at. Make sure you can point to it in theirs, in their writings. And the biggest thing is false prophecy. That's the easiest one to do. They make so many prophecies in their writings that did not come true. Uh, so use that. And, and 
there's so many of them out there, your 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 inclination is going to be, I'm, I'm going to make a, a paper of 25 of them, and I'm going to throw it to them at the door. Don't do that. It's not going to go very far. Pick one. Take maybe two at the most. And let that be enough for that session. Invite them back the next day. I promise you, they will come. And they will probably bring somebody that's a little more experienced with them. Go back to those same prophecies again. There are other ways you can do that. You can actually take the New World Translation, which is a horrible, horrible translation of any kind. uh, And certainly is is, uh, uh, just a a horrific uh, scripture. But there is... Even stuff in that translation that contradicts what they believe and actually teaches against what they believe. And if you're going to use that, you can use that. Uh, but but pick, a, pick one that you get really, really good on and then be really good on it. I mean, study it. Uh, one fellow that I was listening to, he said, you need to be able to do four levels. Basically, you show them the truth uh, from their literature or show them the, the discrepancy in their literature. They're going to respond. Know what that response is going to be then you need to know, here's how you refute that response. Then they're going to respond again. And then you've got to have that next response. And he said you need to be at least four levels into it. Um, Which means probably the first few times that happens and you bring out your one truth, they may refute that or, or excuse it away in a way that you don't have an answer for it. Fine, that's the end of that visit. You learn from that and you go study some more. And you get really good on here's how we need to show this. Once that foot is in the door and they're talking, they're realizing, hmm, man, there might be something wrong with our writings. Now, now, grab your Bibles and start saying, now let me show you some things here from Scripture. And you say, well, why not start with Scripture? And 99 times out of 100, that would always be my first go-to. But in trying to reach these folks, I'm telling you, this is the way to get the foot in the door to get them to think about and to come back and talk with you about these things. Um, I've got another couple pages of notes here. You all have been patient, so we're going to end there. We'll finish uh, kind of our high-level overview next week. Um, And uh, I'll give you a few kind of uh, wetting your whistle a little bit on some things you can do. Uh, initially to get them to start questioning their own uh, pamphlets, their own materials. Uh, Again, they're going to, if you try to come out again, if they catch on, and that's the thing, if they catch on that you're against the Watchtower publications, and and the Mormons are the same way about their literature, the Pearl of Great Price, uh, uh, the Covenants book, and the... uh, the other writings that they have out there, if you if they find out that you're trying to undermine what their literature says, that'll be the end of that meeting, and they're gonna they're gonna leave because they're not allowed to listen to anti Watchtower literature or to talk about anything that's anti Watchtower, and they're they're not allowed in fear of their own salvation to do this. So again. Uh, you got to do it in a way, uh, and and I'll tell you when we were talking about the Mormons, uh, one of the fellows that that had come out of Mormonism, he said, "Folks, I'm telling you, the best way to do it is to show an interest, and in, you know, come show me what your your literature says, 
And, and when they do, then open it up and say, you know, I've been studying your literature for a while now, and this, this puzzles me. I can't quite grasp this. And take them to that truth. And they won't feel like you're trying to make it anti-Watchtower. They think they're trying to help you out in clarity. And what you're actually doing is planting that seed of doubt. Um, so we're going to give you, I don't know how long this will end up being. It may be five, six, seven weeks. Uh, but we're going to go very deep into... Um, methods and how we can deal with Jehovah's Witnesses. For far too long, I think even in our Baptist churches, our mindset has been, they're not like us, we don't have time for them, get them out of our way, we've got too many other things we've got to do. Folks, these folks are lost. And without salvation, they're going to go to hell. And if they're coming to your house, knocking on your door, wanting to come into your air conditioning and sit on your cushioned couch and talk about Jesus... Take the opportunity. Some of us, when we're out talking to people, trying to find people that will listen to us, these people are coming right to your house. Take the advantage of that. Take the opportunity of that. All right? Let's go ahead and stand. We'll be dismissed in a word of prayer. And pray for these studies the next several weeks. I'm going to try to do the best I can to keep everything as clear as I can. I will provide some printed materials for you as we get through. And I may even send, give you some next week or so. Uh, and try to give you some things that will be helpful and in your hands. All right? Let's go ahead and pray. Father, we do pray that you would bless the time that we spend studying how to reach people who are so lost in the truth of your Word. 